0: Lillard wasn't that Chad Buchanan that facilitated that deal and then Neil picked a dame uh
1: you are correct Nerd. yes
2: today's show is brought to you by Bombas save 20 percent on your first order at www.getbombas.com slash holy backboard let's go come on everybody and let's go.
0: All right, everybody, welcome to the 58th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in rainy Rip City, and I got my man...
2: Sage, chilling in the frozen tundra of Southern Oregon. I'm not digging the coldness. It's whack. I like wearing shorts outdoors, and this is not the weather to do so.
0: And we are joined by... Dane Carbot. Dane is no stranger to the Holy Backboard podcast. Dane, let our listeners know where they can you know, read you, watch you, or even uh, listen to your stuff.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on, you guys. Appreciate it. Long time no talk. Uh, I am Dane Carbot of NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk. But uh, Blazers, folks may know me from uh, Blazers Edge. I still um, do a weekly Video over there, whether a QA and A session or a breakdown. Uh, you now you can find me over at YouTube at uh, youtube.com forward slash dane not dan. Don't confuse it, Dane not Dan. Over at YouTube, that's where you can find me. And of course, I'm the host, the co-host of the Locked On Trailblazers podcast with Eric Garcia Gunderson.
0: So it used to be the rewind. When did Dane not Dan come about?
1: Uh well here this will be the first public time I actually tell this story because it's not very interesting but I mean I think it's interesting we called it it was originally called the Baseline Rewind that was a sort of a show name that's not really how YouTube works YouTube's still one of those corners of the internet that's sort of attached to uh, usernames you know PewDiePie that kind of stuff Uh, it's it's not necessarily a show that he does it's you're attached to his name so I changed it to the Rewind and then I was doing a little uh, just. Googling around, I, I kind of didn't realize that YouTube has their own YouTube Rewind at the end of every year, and so I'm just getting crushed in SEO in terms of YouTube and Rewind. Terrible idea. So I needed to find some sort of username that went with it, and uh, I already owned um, the domain name today, not Dan, and a lot of the other stuff like that. So I decided to switch it over and go to more, uh, you know, AIM username style centric thing. So hopefully, can uh, people can go over there, and of course now I have a custom URL. So just YouTube.com/slash/dane-not-dan. I have uh, videos there twice a week typically. Uh, Christmas, I will—I think I'll miss one, so I'll have one in the middle of the week for Blazers Edge, but I won't have one on the weekend. But uh, we're going to ramp them up. So 2017 is going to be a big year for me for for video. I've made a a big investment in terms of how it looks and how it sounds, and I'm really going to jump into it. So hopefully you guys can go over there and if you're listening, subscribe. Uh, I really appreciate it, and see you guys over there.
0: Yeah, definitely go check it out, Uh, Rip City. I watched uh, one of the more recent videos about, is it time to panic? Should we be concerned? Short answer, yes. (laughs) Long answer, we'll get to that. And I think it really starts with this week that, you know, as a Blazer fan and this group, granted they've only had a year and a half together, a season and a half together, excuse me. But with the expectations so low, Last year, at no point was I ever disappointed. I was ever frustrated at them. Even when they lost seven straight games, it's like, okay, we're going to get up for a better lottery pick. You know, Damian was hurt for the first time in his career. These type of, you know, bumps in the road were inevitable. This year, fair or not, expectations rose. It's a team that took the Warriors to five games. They were all competitive. They held their own against the Clippers. They did get some fortunate luck with uh, Blake and CP. But they did what they had to do, and they retained 90% of their minutes. That was the most of any NBA team coming into this year. You have Dame talking about MVP, uh, maybe making the Western Conference Finals. And I think it's just human nature to, to get excited and you know to place a little bit higher expectations. I know I certainly did, but I thought they were ready to take that next step, considering they were uh, one of the three or four youngest teams in the NBA. But no week was I more frustrated or disappointed in them than this last week. Go to the game on Tuesday. They just throttled the OKC Thunder. Uh, Westbrook was held in check, didn't even have to play the fourth quarter. Uh, They won by 19 points, 114 to 95. And it really wasn't that close. They handled it. Um, I thought they just played incredibly tough defense. They forced OKC to shoot threes, similar to what teams do to us. Like We dared guys like Andre Robertson to beat us from downtown, just like the Clippers did with Alf But then they just followed up with complete no-shows against the Nuggets and the worst loss of the NBA season to the Golden State Warriors by 45 points. Uh, Dane, why is this team so Jekyll and Hyde? And even after people are saying, I think this is a breakthrough against the Oklahoma City Thunder, they come out and they really played with no defensive energy or purpose against the Nuggets, and obviously it, trans- it transferred over to the Golden State game.
1: Yeah, I, I we've been talking a little bit on uh, on lockdown. Blazes, about this particularly about how it's not necessarily time to to panic yet. There's real cause for concern, but not to be super pessimistic in an emotional way, but realistic about what the what the team has been. And we're we're um, let's see, the team is 13 and 16, so that's 29 games in the NBA season. We have a good idea of what they're going to be. Now, granted, a big part of that being out is Alperuca It's Tough for him to be out with uh, first the calf injury and then lower back contusion he's uh, got a butt bruise whatever you want to call it but you know and something that keeps him out of actually playing you know joking aside so even if you had him back in the mix I think even as he was playing people were forgetting yes the the Blazers defense I think now Gunderson texted me after after the Golden State game that there's something like top or sorry lower lower 10 like like eighth worst defense in NBA history or something in terms of defensive rating. I have to, l- I have to look that up or verify it with him. But uh, in any case, it's, it's really tough to see that. And it's not like Alfred Camita is going to fix that one thing all by himself. And it's not like he was hitting those open three pointers that they desperately needed and that he was hitting last season, at least to, uh, to really start it off kind of unexpectedly. So I think we kind of know who the blazers are. I don't think their offense works as well as it should. Especially with Evan Turner, Evan Turner is going to be the subject of the breakdown on, on Blaze's Edge this week on Thursday. Um, and after watching a lot of tape of him this last weekend and look, digging into his stats, uh, sur- there's some surprising stuff. I don't want to spoil the, the video, but a lot of it really is he's been most effective not necessarily as a ball hander, Not he's he's you know he's sort of his creation statistics, his assists, assist percentage. Um, NBA.com has some stuff that's about, uh, it combines hockey assists and assists lead to a free throw. Those numbers are either down or stagnant or not really building on what you would expect of him to, to add on to this team. What he's really been the most effective is sort of in isolation as a post player by himself against smaller guards. That's where he's been most effective. Other than that, not really been great for the Blazers. And obviously you have Alan Crabb not playing super well offensively, really taking a hit on defense, not playing very well. And so, and of course you have all these issues with the front line. Damien and CJ haven't defended the pick and roll better as guards. There's a lot of problems on this team. And I think, you know, the the game against Oklahoma City is a game in which Terry Stotts and his his coaching staff really game planned for that game. And OKC is as it is easy to say that well, you sort of have one linchpin and they did shut down Russell Westbrook. I, if I recall, I think he was twenty six and six that night. Didn't play the fourth quarter. Um but it's not super hard to slow him down. I just I had a breakdown come out today on NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk about Russell Westbrook and his triple doubles, basically saying it's it's really hard to slow him down. The Blazers were one of the teams that did it. And uh, I think that was a, a game that was just game-planned for really well. They had some time between uh, that Oklahoma City game and uh, the L.A. game leading up to it. They're back at home. Obviously, the Blazers play better at home. Um, but, man, I, they are... What six, six and three since the December started, and they they close out against some easy teams and some really some really hard teams before the first year. I'm I'm not saying that the Blazers are done for. I think they can keep their head above water, but it's it's my opinion, and I don't just because of I haven't had much evidence to to go against it. I don't think the Blazers are a very good basketball team right now.
0: No, and that defensive rating you were uh, talking about is actually uh, one. Right now, it is the worst in the entire NBA. Worse than the Brooklyn Nets, who were kind of went to the scrapyard to find players. Worse than the Philadelphia 76ers, who are without their number one pick and continuously tried to tank for like four years in a row. Worse than those teams. And we are a team that is young, they're long, and they're athletic. But when I watch them on defense, they don't have a clue sometimes. Like offensively, I think their IQ is high, but Sage brought this up a few episodes ago. I don't think they're very smart defensively. No, uh, you know Gunderson
1: and I have talked about this a little bit. Uh, it was kind of an aside, but something that caught on for two podcasts last week about how it's it's interesting. Some of the players, I think, if you are like uh, Mason Plumlee is a good example of it. And just if you guys that you know played basketball at a high level through your you know middle school, high school careers, it's as as somebody who was I think a pretty good offensive player. That was mostly I felt because of sort of the, the court feel that I had. And, and I really wanted to try on defense. So a player like Mason Plumlee, who has really good court vision and really good court feel as an offensive player and wants to try hard on defense and does, I think. But it's interesting to see him make a lot of those mistakes, not to not to single him out, but he's a, he's an easy one to sort of use that as an example. Um, and so yeah, I don't think they're very on top of it. And, and I, I, I do wonder how much you know Terry Stotts called that sort of that that team meeting uh, I forget that was two weeks ago, something like that. I forget which game I was after, but um, I, they had a film session. And then, the, you know, the next practice after that, they they stopped after every defensive mistake. And I wonder how much of that got put on Damien and CJ, just given the nature of how much they mean to the franchise and how hard it is to call it, start players in the NBA. But at a certain point in time, you really do have to put a lot of it on them. And and sort of I think it's Neil O'Shea's position now to understand, look, if, if this doesn't work for the entire rest of the season, you know, Mason Plumlee got to go because the only way you're going to survive with a Damian and a CJ backcourt in this league is to have an Aminu and a Robin Lopez up front, so, somebody like that, because it's not you know, all that help defense, all those hard digs off the wing. That's not coming from the one and two spot. It's going to come, half, it's going to have to have to come from three, four, five. That's more heartless Aminu and a good defensive center. Um, yeah. So I, I, it's, it's, uh, Defeats of side of things is uh, pretty ugly and and frustrating to watch, I think, if you're a Blazers fan.
0: And you mentioned Lillard. He actually kind of called out the team after that Golden State performance. I'm going to quote him from the ESPN.com recap says, man, it's okay to turn the ball over. It's okay to make mistakes, but we have to play with some damn heart and compete out there. I completely agree. I can kind of see it in his body language, especially after the Denver game. He went off for 40 and 10 and looked like he was doing everything he could to keep his team afloat, but he's not getting much help out there. I really hope this doesn't turn into a Kevin Garnett in Minnesota situation where you've got a fabulous player, but they can really never make any headway in, in the Western Conference playoffs, and he eventually has to move on. I don't think anybody wants to see Lillard leave Portland, and I think it's way too early to speculate that he would, but... You don't want to start seeing things like that. So I think this team really needs to start uh, turning it around. But my question for you, Dane, is Dame is the offensive savior. He does everything for this team. He's having an MVP, maybe not MVP type year, but his personal MVP year. He's playing the best basketball of his career. Is it too much? And he's leading the NBA in total minutes. Is it too much to ask for him to set the tone defensively when he's already doing everything else imaginable? I think there are a lot of players that can do that and just given their their natural
1: talent their abilities and maybe the system they were put into and um you know the um, I think there's a lot of ability that goes on being able to pick up things and then execute after on practice especially on the defensive side of the ball I would say that Kawhi Leonard is one of those players obviously is a potential deploy for this season Damian Lillard I don't think is that player he's not naturally some some players are just not naturally that type of thing and and you know, defenses in the NBA are really complex and players are so good at scoring the ball, so efficient. Um, And working with that system, I don't think that Damian Lillard, again, I don't think the Blazers, uh, you know, may, maybe there's are some, some things that they're seeing. But, uh, you know, obviously in Damian's comments, but I don't think the Blazers are uh, bad on defense for lack of trying. I think they want to try and all the guys in the team are good um Sort of reliable guys who will take something to heart that a coach says and then try to put it into effort. But we've seen even players like Evan Davis, who are who is a, a good defensive player, seen his advanced statistics drop off the season in terms of um, defensive rating, uh, finishing around the rim, uh, offensive rebounding. And so there are some weird things going on with this team. So going back to Damian, yeah, I think it's tough because he's not na- that's not naturally the thing that he is best at. Clearly, he is an elite scorer in this league. He's probably in the top 10 in terms of MVP voting this season. He's definitely an all-star, obviously. But if he's not that natural person, I i, I think just flat out sort of outside of everything else, yeah, it'd be unrealistic to say this team right now needs to have Damian be that defensive pace setter. That's wh- why. thats not that's really not something that he should be i don't think he's capable of doing right now and it's sort of unfair to point out to him i think absolutely you know, d- uh, defense defense in this league is a is a team game and this roster is not very good at defense it's not it's not all on damian lillard certainly
2: yeah i mean we rely on him so much it's it the right word was unfair it was unfair to ask him to set the tone defensively
0: I mean, we're really talking about LeBron James, who took an 07 Cavs team, even last year's Cavs team in the finals, to be the number one alpha on offense and defense and be a lead at it. Those guys are once in a generation type. So as great as Dame is, you're right, it's unfair to put that on him. I think we need help. And it starts in the back line. We do not have strong back line defenders. And. Unfortunately, what hope Portland did have with Festus Ezeli signing him from Golden State this offseason, it looks like it's not going to happen this year. He has been reported to uh, go under arthroscopic knee surgery. I believe it is what the left knee and he could be out for the season. Uh, Dane, he has a team option. Just gut feeling. Do you think he's part of the future in Portland?
1: No, I don't. I think Neil O'Shea took his gamble he took his gamble with his backdoor out of it with the with the with the team option on his thing, and he has the ability to recoup something like three point four or three point seven million dollars to that disabled player exception yeah. that he could get, which uh, interestingly enough could also turn into for a team like Blazers who are eighteen million dollars over the salary cap can turn into um, money they can move as part of a trade, so they can help get a player somewhere. Obviously, they're not going to pick up some. You know, $3 million player off the couch or something. That's not what's happening with the Blazers. It gives them a little flexibility in the trade the Blazers, you know, desperately need to make. I think we saw rumblings from maybe Jason Quick at CSN that a a trade, he's hearing, you know, trades are um, imminent and, and 100% going to happen. So we'll see. I don't think Festus is part of the future in Portland. I think Neil Shea took his gamble on that, uh, did it in a very safe way and did it in a very smart way. And as Neil does, he will find something that comes out of the woodwork and probably surprises us all.
0: And, you know, speaking of trades being imminent, the way this roster was constructed this past offseason, it was to make trades. There's no way they thought we could have this much depth at the time and say, yes, it's going to work out. We're going to all of a sudden be the 98, 99 Blazers and play, you know, 12, 13 guys a night. That's not how this roster was envisioned. And unfortunately, some of those players haven't lived up to kind of their stature, maybe of their contract and maybe aren't as valuable as they once were (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> her, her degrees. Um, Rally oh. Kitty has, has not been a fan of the team so far. The, the Cats do not get as much fancy feast as they normally do. But going back to trades, a lot of people are kind of pissed off at Neil o'Shea I've kind of defended him saying, what else did you realistically want him to do? I think outside of maybe Evan Turner, his hands were tied behind his back. It's not like he can make Hassan Whiteside come to Portland. So, Dane, is there one thing to blame this season on or is it kind of a shared blame between Terry the players and you know hindsight Olshay signings
1: I would say that it's certainly spread around I think you make a good point that I don't necessarily want to pass over if we're if we're talking about this seriously between Blazers fans and people in Portland like Hassan Whiteside said that his second choice was Portland. There's nothing you can do to make if a guy's second choice and you end up being a second choice after all the pitches and all the interesting stuff. If you guys maybe listen to Zach Lowe's podcast about everything that the Hornets did to get Nick Batum back. They went to his, uh, his hometown I think and did this really cool thing where they interviewed a bunch of his old high school coaches and old players and that kind of stuff. All these crazy things that these teams do to get these players to come back or to come to their new team I mean, whether it's, you know, talking about weird potential collusion or or whatever it may be, there's all these different things going on in free agency. And if you can't get them, you can't get them. And Portland is as much as I think with I think objectively being being from the area, there's some serious subject sort of subjectivity there. But I think Portland now is a a better place than ever for than it's ever have been for an NBA player to live and it has a great team, I think it makes sense as a destination. I don't know why a lot of players wouldn't choose it, given that, especially a lot of the guys that Olshay has tried to get in the past, are big men. It's not like they have anybody ready to take their minutes. It's not like they're trying to add a shooting guard, and they say, well, where, where, am I, where are my backward rotation minutes going to come from? So <clears throat> I think that's an important part not to skip over. In terms of shared blame, yeah, I think the, the big thing I've sort of, and I've, I've tried not to be such a an old shade defender in a, in an unfair sense. But I think you're right. This team was built to make a trade. Evan Turner was supposed to work out. And I think Alan Crabb was going to be the trade bait. Now Alan Crabb has played poorly, much, much more poorly than any of us anticipated. He seems to have taken a step back surprisingly. And maybe it's, maybe it's a money thing. Maybe it's an attitude thing because of where he's playing. He doesn't want to have to play with Evan Turner all the time. They don't necessarily play very well together. Um, you know, he wanted to really, even though he was essentially the fifth starter last season, he played more minutes than Mason Plumley. So I'm not sure what else they're going to give him when CJ still exists. But uh, especially in, when Mo Harkless came up so hard last year in the playoffs. But I think this this roster is absolutely meant to make a trade. And so the the bummer part for Neil is that a bunch of them have flamed out all the same time, and then you have injury issues making the on court performance really bad. And I think it's really rough. So I think there's probably some big changes coming hopefully over the off season. Neil O'Shea has that slow hand. He likes to play that slow hand. I don't think he can afford to this season, not to be alarmist about it, but I think wasting, wasting another prime year of Damien and CJ together is not the point. Not after what happened last season, not after all these asset gathering. And uh, especially if if those guys continue to play really poorly this season, you're going to have to make a move and do something big. Um, which I know that's not really his style. He wants to let it develop, but, um, you know, things come up. So ho- hopefully the players can pull themselves out of it and the decisions become less. They're very spread out right now. There's there's too many avenues for him to go down to. Hopefully some of those naturally through injuries, through on-court play, some of those options get limited down and he gets to make a choice instead of being forced to make one.
2: Do you think his job is in danger at all?
1: Okay? Yeah. No, no, not in any way. I mean, this is a guy who turns you know, uh, wheat into gold. He turns, you know, water into wine. He, he, he turns Jeff Withey into uh, Robin Lopez. He turns crash into Damian Lillard. Um, you know, he has, he has a lot of moves that he, I mean, he, he signs Alfa Aminu for starting for less than $10 million a season. He nabs Ed Davis who plays out of his mind in terms of, you know, per 100 possession, advanced stats last season. The guy, the guy's great. You know, he has Terry stops who I think for a couple of years has been, or a couple of years during his tenure, um, a guy who had, a, I think, a losing record coming into his head coaching career and uh, being a you know, a coach of the year candidate in terms of being a top five or top eight guy a couple of years he's been in Portland. I, I think there's so many right moves. And, um, you know, maybe next year if the team really underperforms and if he somehow squanders, what's going to happen with... I, I don't think he... He couldn't survive sort of squandering Lillard's prime, which he's not even close to doing. But if, if let's say, in the next two years, the team really, again, like sort of just... Tripped over their own feet again and again. Yeah, then we'd be talking about it because you can't you can't squander a, a sort of a a once every other generation sort of superstar like Damian Lillard. But uh, especially with the run that the Blazers have had in terms of that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, no, for right now he's made too many good moves. He and he's too smart a guy. I don't think he'll end up there either. Anyway, I don't think he'll end up um, you know r- really making the wrong move overall. And having such a bad run of luck, the band up there. But yeah, I don't think his his job's Not, not in a, heaven forbid. The rest of us are all in trouble. If his job's in 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 in, uh, in trouble.
0: You mentioned um, Gerald Wallace for Lillard. Wasn't that Chad Buchanan that facilitated that deal? And then Neil picked uh, Dame. Uh,
1: you are correct. Yes. yes, but still, but still, the guy picked Damien.
0: Pit, yes. When people, correct.
1: When people were Damien.
0: like. And he is amazing in the draft.
1: I think I think that's an important part. So you know, let's let's okay, let's give let's give credit where credit is due. I I agree. It's not and it's not. I think the hard part of that trade is uh, not fleecing the Nets and Billy King. To be perfectly honest, the hard part of that trade was taking your number six pick, the best pick you've had since you basically blew it and didn't get a Hall of Famer and Kevin Durant, and uh, you know Brandon Roy's knees exploded, and you better make this one count and going with some kid from. Uh, from Ogden, Utah. So I think I think that's that's the hardest part of that trade, not to not to ride the, the Neil train too hard. But
0: no, I'm definitely on the Neil bandwagon as well. I think he's been the best GM this franchise has had in 16 years. Uh, Bob Witzit, you got to give him credit. He got us further than we've ever been since the early 90s. Um, but Neil actually got us to the second round, uh, as well as Terry as well as Dame, but. For the longest time, Blazer fans were just pissed off about not even making the or not even making the second round. Well, we've been there twice in the last three years. Um, baby steps. I just I did some quick math the other day, just thinking about since when I was born, nineteen eighty five. How many franchises have actually won an NBA championship? And it was like ten. There's thirty NBA teams. Uh, I so, s- I say that all the time. I say that. All the time. You
1: just go look at the basketball reference list of NBA champions. It's Lakers, 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 Spurs, Cavs, Lakers, Lakers, Spurs, Cavs, Mavs, Heat, 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 Lakers. You know, it's like it, it really is in terms of parody. Sure, three years ago or two years ago, we had, or two and three years ago, we had this great Western Conference where everyone's winning like 60 games or 50, 58 games, which is crazy. But only one NBA champion every single year. And it, it hasn't been that spread out. You're right.
0: And it's tough, so you know, will our time come? Who knows? But even going into this year, what kind of takes the sting off of this disappointing season is that Portland was never going to win the NBA championship. They were never going to contend from all things considered. It's the Warriors and the Cavaliers. Everyone else is just trying to have fun and put up some, some good highlights and keep us entertained. I mean, that's really what we're here for is to be entertained. On the other side, it is pretty disappointing to be 13 and 16. Right now, the Blazers are stuck. In that eighth seed, where I don't think any team really wants to be in, that would be the only thing that could make the season worse, in my opinion, is if we ended up eighth and had to face the Warriors. Yes, there's still two thirds of the season left to go, but you're looking at Portland. They're already five games in the loss column, back of Memphis for sixth. It, it just I don't want them to lose, get out of touch, like fall off of the radar completely because you don't know if Memphis is going to just implode with injuries or other teams are going to fall off the map and you can't bank on having another hot January and February like you did last year. So my reasoning for with Portland and being a little bit concerned right now is a lot of the things that worked in their favor last year, like taking Bonley out of the lineup and maybe reducing his minutes. That's off the table. Where does Portland go? Well, I think like I said in
1: that video on blaze's edge, um, there is cause for concern it's definitely not time to panic there are some factors in play here one evan turner hopefully being able to figure out more of the offense we've seen even a change between the last two and three weeks between the first two and three weeks of the season where he looked i mean there's so many after timeout plays where he's just sitting there talking to terry cuz he doesn't know where to be on offense or defense or he's he's pointing you know whistle blows, and he's pointing at a at a player sort of either blaming or whatever's happening there on some some mishap on defense so I think his improved play would be a huge thing. Getting him back would be a huge thing. Alan Crabb making um, a better a, a better uh, effort on the defensive end of the floor would be a huge thing. Yet Myers is back and has been playing better recently in terms of his he certainly seems more confident. He's getting stronger. He, he's really getting pushed around when he first came back just because he was. I think he's out of the weight room zone with that shoulder injury. Um, so I think there's some real and realistic over the course of a whole season type of thing. That they can they can do, and the other part of that is there is some sort of strength of schedule stuff that it suggests that after the all star break the blazers do have an at least an easier schedule. Now you're right; it's not necessarily wise to guess that they will have that hot January and February that they had last season. But the flip side of that, if you want to play devil's advocate, is that they weren't this bad at this point in time last season either. So and and they were what felt like sort of catastrophically almost I mean hilariously bad last season um so this year I I don't know I I don't know if there's anything you can do other than make make that trade but I still don't think that trade is coming until probably right at the deadline for the Blazers because they still need to one figure out who can play better and what they really need and and you know suss out who else is pissing off their coach and wants you know is going to get moving. Their value goes down at some other team. And then also, they need to get the guys that they can trade, the Allen Krabs and the Evan Turners of the world, and to get their trade value up by playing more games and playing better on the floor. So I still have some time to go.
0: Yeah, my thoughts are, even if the schedule does ease up, is it fool's gold if you still can't put up a competitive performance against the Golden States, even the Houstons of the world? It seems like this year, whenever we go up against... A really elite opponent we've been putting our place real quick and I think outside of that Clipper game last Monday where we lost by one um, in Los Angeles that was really the first time I thought we put up a good fight against a top five team this year so if we continue to win against the teams we should be I guess on the one hand that's good but on the other hand if we're not competitive it just feels like we're kind of stuck in mediocrity I would like to see the team take the next step and just not even win a couple games against the Spurs coming up in December, but keep it within single digits. I don't think we're asking for too much here. Yeah, they, they definitely, in terms of where they're at,
1: I think uh, sort of the recovery from when we talked about this on lockdown blazers too, but last season they weren't supposed to be any good. I took the under on their Vegas over under, I took like 27 games or something. I obviously ended up at uh, 44 or something like that. And, uh, so here, you know, they started they started at the top of the bell curve and they made their way slowly down. And I think it's harder to recover and jump back up when you already can't. You had all this momentum and the momentum has sent you rocketing down into the pit. So I think this season, it's hard to say. I think different different fans of the trailblazers are going to want different things. Some of them are obviously going to be the sort of the the, the hard, hard to, to one side and want that tank and get, keep their own pick extremely high. The other side, and then you know, move, moving more towards the middle, they're going to say, make it competitive, build on something, so we know who to keep and who to get rid of for next year. Finish 9, 10, 8, maybe. And the other folks are going to be extreme. The other side that says, you better make a trade right now. Trade CJ, get buggy, grab a defensive center. Let's go. Let's we have to make it. We have to do it right now. So I think the the majority of people are probably in the middle, skewing. I, I would personally um, skew towards making it so they they sort of figure out who they want and are able to make those trades with those guys they they already got sort of as assets um i don't necessarily think they're, they're not gonna they're not gonna compete this year they're they they were gonna compete this year anyways but this year it's like i don't i don't think that uh i mean maybe the clippers are a bad example with blake's leg injury if that becomes persistent for the rest of the season but you know sort of the clippers of the world that next year in the western conference i don't think they're going to contend that that uh, that tier either so it's not to lose hope. I mean, <laughs> believe me, I'm I'm the guy who's uh, ha- I have watched every Blazer game for sure for the last five years and the seasons where they weren't winning any games. And I'm, I'm over here talking about, you know, Blazers preseason games with Adam Morrison. I think every minute has been interesting uh, for different reasons. So uh, it's not like I'm uh, thinking, you know, losing losing is a lost cause and not something to watch or pay attention to. You can find you can find the wins for the next season and the losses from the season before. Absolutely. um, But uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a tough rest of the season no matter what. I think if I was going to give you hope, I wouldn't necessarily say it's full fool's gold. But if I was going to give them hope, hopefully it would be that that schedule thing and they can can come back together in terms of injuries and play on the floor. But I think overall, the rest of the season is going to be very tough in Portland.
0: Yeah, you touched on the good point about fans either wanting to move CJ now or wanting to make a smaller trade. I think what people should always keep in the back of their mind is how young this team is and barring injury, CJ and Dame aren't going to lose their trade value. I mean, they are under long-term deals for the, the foreseeable future and everybody knows they can both play. Obviously, highly, highly doubt Portland even looks at moving Lillard. So McCollum is obviously the guy that people look to. Oh, we need to get cousins. We need to get Paul George, yada, yada, yada. I'm of the mind that those two guys are so good that let's try to see if we can get them some front court help. Let's, let's be honest. They have Those two together have never played with a legitimate power forward unless you count the three games in the Memphis series when LaMarcus was already checked out and CJ was trying to save us um, in 2015. They have never played with legit power forward, and Mason Plumlee's probably better suited to come off the bench. So they have never had a really tremendous front line. Are they going to be able to get a great front line without giving up either one of those two? Probably not, but you can still find the pieces. Even if Festus didn't work out, he was the type of guy to look at. Uh, we've heard Nerlens Noel, who could provide some defensive um, prowess up front. But I would look and maybe trade one of the guards and just see if we can give them some help to see if it works for the rest of the season. Then maybe you can start looking at the you know the CJ rumors heating up and and breaking up that duo. But Dane, uh, would you move CJ now or would you try to see what they could do with the better front line? I would wait and
1: see what they do with a better front line. I think this team has constructed similarly in terms of maybe the, the post play is different. The defense the defense is different, especially from a guard perspective. But we've seen a team with really good players, but with at varying levels of stardom, especially, you know, there was a couple years there of Nick that wasn't very good, either three point shooting or the year before that. He was a terrible running the pick and roll with him. So varying levels of sort of being good. And then with good defensive center, a good star one, good star two, Damian and Aldridge. I think that's the way this team needs to go. They need to sort of build that base back up that they had for such a sol- for such a long time. It's just a, uh, it's just solid team. I feel like I was just watching highlights, or what was I looking at? I was looking at um, sort of I was trying to compare some plays from the season, couple seasons with uh, Wes and uh, Aldridge for this Evan Turner thing, and um, I just sort of kind of just like jog jog my memory about about those teams a little bit, and I'm I'm definitely of the side where I don't think that. Uh, you know, if, if you trade CJ for Boogie, I don't think that Blazers team is very good. Even, uh, I mean, 2 that's only still only two stars. If you want to be, I mean, even you're talking about the Clippers, potential or sorry, uh, perennial playoff losers, the L.A. Clippers, who do they have? Blake, Chris Paul and DeAndre, three players that are all going to be, you know, if uh, <laughs> under the new CBA, potentially like you know 20 plus million dollar players every single season of their careers the next you know the next contract out um the uh, that only gives you two players for for Boogie and Damian and you have all this volatility about alpha dogness and team fit and culture and Boogie being in Portland and and all this other weirdness goes around that i don't i don't like that move mostly because i don't think that blazers team is still very good uh, you need three players in this team and I, so i think that while cj is not a number one option he's definitely a very good number two and so I think you go for add a base and then add that third guy who is a clear number three. I also think that's easier to attain mm-hmm. in today's NBA, both through trade and through those free agent situations. You don't need to. I mean, think about the whole DeAndre Jordan situation between Dallas and L.A. You don't need to, you know, third tier guys typically aren't that hard to get to. Uh, and I think the blaze would be easier to find, you know, sort of the right guy, a very blazer guy, a very Neil O'Shea guy in that third spot. It'd be easier for them. So I'm I'm sort of with you on that side.
0: So before we dive into a couple of fan questions, real quick, which blazer do you think is the most likely to get moved by the deadline if one is to be moved? Alan Crabb. What do you think, Sage?
2: Alan Crab.
1: Yeah, he's I think he's he's too he's too young mm-hmm. and that contract works so well for a uh, somebody who would would be like a good number three on a team, or probably a number two for a bad team, like he was would, would be for the Nets, or maybe he'd be the number one for the Nets. No, Brook
2: Lopez would be number one.
1: Then, AC. oh, excuse me, excuse me, yeah, excuse me. Yeah. Yes. Well, we we all forget about Brooke Lopez, but the uh, other Lopez, the other Lopez. Yes. Um. So yeah, I, I would I would say it's definitely got to be Allen, just because I mean, and that that contract is going to be so good for the you know as the CBA moves up and as if the salary cap raises again in coming seasons. So definitely Allen.
0: What about Mason Plumley, a center who is a restricted free agent, and we know Neil probably isn't too fond of restricted free agents after going through three of them this past season.
1: Well, something that we haven't talked about yet is if um, a team could, you know, pull the Blazers on the Blazers and offer Mason Plumley some stupid contract in order to jam him up. We saw the Blazers do that with Paul Millsap. We saw him do the Wes Matthews in his canter, basically every jazz player or a thunder player you could think of, um, and uh, I think um, that's potentially uh, possible. Although, God forbid, a team give Mason Plumley something like fifteen million dollars a year or something, and then have to take it um, like a bunch of goobers, which would be terrible—a terrible decision. Unless they already had an extremely good defensive team. I mean, he played minutes at the four in in uh, in. Uh, Brooklyn before so I mean he could add to a team he could be that canter type of guy where it's like look he just comes in plays the plays the six-man guy or maybe he starts for half the games of the season and and passes the bejesus out of the ball but um yeah I don't I I don't know what they do with Mason Plumley. I don't know if he's explicitly tradable just because I think he's been so poor on defense and um you know really he really fits into this offense But I think the question would be um if you don't have a, an offense centered around high post passing and a, a lot of defense or offenses in the NBA aren't um, necessarily like it's so attached to that, like uh, the Blazers are or uh, Chicago with Noah, something like that, um, you know, maybe his, his his offensive value just because of frequency isn't that useful since he's not a good back to the basket player and he can't shoot a jumper outside of six feet. so.
0: All right. Uh, We have a few fan questions. The first one is from Brandon Goldner at Goldner PDX. He wants to know, Dane, does Terry Stotts need to adjust his defensive scheme given the players he now has um, unless the Blazers make a roster move? A lot of talk on Twitter uh, this week, at least in in the Holy Backboard feed, was Stotts isn't that bad of a defensive coach. We were a pretty good defense when we had the likes of Rolo, LaMarcus, Nick, and Wes but now all of a sudden we're the worst. So does he need to adjust his his scheme given the the fit of the players?
1: I mean, if we talk about the tenets of the scheme, it's trying, it's running that ice pick and roll coverage. The big man down low, guys fighting over the top of the picks, trying to stop that three pointer. You have uh, digs and help from the side wings coming in on on uh, on your pick and roll guys. And uh, now the Blazers have moved uh, pretty heavy into switching. You know, like we see them play the the Clippers and sort of. Acquiesce or almost want to put those switches put Damian onto Blake Griffin. That's a weird one. I don't think that's really their big problem. Obviously, we saw against a team like Denver who went off for 15 at 31 from the three point line. Their biggest problem this year defensively has been three point shooting. One of the worst terms in the M- teams in the NBA in terms of uh, points allowed, uh, free throw or uh, three point shooting percentage allowed and attempts. So and a big one, an interesting one there. Is attempts are they shooting well and are they shooting often? And a big one for me is obviously um, just how bad they are at doing that. I think a lot of that really is sort of how their how their help defense works, and they're not getting those those digs and slides and, and stunts. Stunts is something that's trying uh, if you guys are listeners are unfamiliar. It's uh, when a player is trying to make up space and sort of uh, hedge himself between two offensive players. To give them to give the offensive player with the ball pause before shooting or making a pass attempt, so the other player can recover. Uh, they're they're just not as, as, good, as good at that kind of stuff this season. Um, and it's it's really shown. I think it's defense is all on a string, mm-hmm. and it's been a bad defensive team. I think on a string so far. I, I think it's really more due to roster makeup. I don't think Terry Stotts is a bad coach. And in the NBA, your whole you know coaching staff is sort of it's not just one guy. It's like those other five dudes on the on the in suits on the on the you know sitting behind the bench too. <laughs> There's so many of them uh, working for you, and a lot of them have been the same for this time with mu- with a much better roster where they've been a better defensive team. And we've seen you know we saw them make a leap uh, between twenty uh, what thirteen, fourteen, and 14, 15 I believe. And um, so I, I think it's not necessarily up to Terry. Uh, it's it's possible we see. I mean, Neil O'Shea doesn't seem like a meddler, but it's possible we see like a, a Brooklyn situation where a, a Lawrence Frank type guy gets brought in specifically to help run the defense. You know, a former defensive strategist and uh, a head coach himself. I, I don't know if they'll go that crazy with it, if it, but if it ends at a historic low, it's, it's it's really possible.
0: I know that's what my man Sage has been calling for for a long time with Gary. <laughs>
2: probably two years now. I mean. It's just good to have someone other than me complain or say these things. So I'm I'm just I'm just letting you go off. We're putting the battery in your back and just letting you say that say that shit, man.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm I'm uh, for your listeners and I'm I'm backing you up here by proxy.
2: Yeah, man. You're <laughs> my mom's favorite uh, guest. So you're coming. <laughs> I appreciate in. it. You're coming in very strong today, man.
1: Yeah.
0: Shout out! Shout out to Mama Sage.
2: <laughs> Mama Lee. She does. She listens to every episode. Mama Lee. <laughs> All right.
0: Alright, uh, here comes a question from one of my favorite follows on Twitter, at KJ underscore NBA. He wants to know, Dane, have you tried the new Blazers Stumptown blend? Uh, no, I have not. I mean, so I've, if your listeners aren't familiar, I've,
1: I now live in Seattle, so uh, I've, I've been trying to get some, but uh, every time I try to I try to get it, you can't just, can't just buy it or walk into it. I forget when we're at a game or something, so I haven't tried it. I would assume, I really like Hairbender, so Stumptown is uh, one of my favorite copies. I don't I don't like – I'm just going to say it. I don't like cold brew, but uh, so I know that's that's sort of sacrilege. But Hairbender is delicious. Stumptown is delicious. Uh, I'd like to try it soon. Have you guys?
0: I got some for my mom, and I had some made for myself. It is pretty good, and I'm yeah. not a huge coffee drinker. so I'm not a huge
2: t- coffee drinker as well. So I honestly also, thought it was beer for a good second. <laughs> I, I, that's how much of a coffee drinker I am. I assumed yeah. it was beer.
0: Do we know which Blazer won at Dodgeball? We heard the story on broadcast, but was that ever made public? Oh, I don't know. I, I saw that story and I was like, I have to read this and I forgot to click
1: on it. All I, I do I do remember seeing was it Mason probably said he was the worst at it, which makes kind of makes sense. If, you, if you've seen him grip a basketball at the free throw line, he does that yep. thing where he's gripping it with his thumbs and his pinky out. And, and then when right when he goes to shoot it, he moves his thumb and his pinkies in so he shoots it with his hand like put together like a, like you're putting up your hand to say stop. And so that's why he, he doesn't he's not actually controlling the ball at release. I would assume it would be very difficult to play dodgeball if you're doing the same thing. It was just flying off in all directions.
0: He's also the biggest target. He's also
1: the biggest target. Exactly. Yeah.
0: So question for I mean, myself up moves, but I know I asked it on the Dane um, for the Lockdown Blazers podcast. But what are your thoughts on the Lillard three?
1: I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, the your, your specific question was a great one. Thank you for asking. I didn't answer that. That was the uh, the last answer on my last uh, uh on Blazers podcast. I also did a video version of that podcast. Your listeners can check out over at my YouTube channel. Um, but uh, I like the Dame 3 a lot. I think in terms of aesthetics, it's not my favorite, The 2 is a really good looking shoe. My friend you said it looked like an 80s runner. It's super cool. That first, that first one I know that you have they put out um, over Christmas last year or something like that, around Christmas last year. They didn't end up releasing it because there was some manufacturing issues, but uh, so they, like, they pulled them off the shelves. That was a really sweet colorway, um, and I have one behind me here as we're talking. I have the, the Rose City colorway, but it doesn't fit me. The heel is too thin for me, even if I size up like two sizes. The three apparently is supposed to be wider, according to Casey Holdall. He told me it was wider, so... Hopefully it would be, and it's got bounce in it, which I like. That's a that's a high rubber content EVA foam, and so uh, you know, so a lot of cushion and bounce. So I'm I'm super excited about that. Um, I like the colorway. I think I could wear it around. I need a I need a winter colorway that's not just like all dark black and red though. But if it's if it's good and it fits me, it legit might replace my. I wear Air, Air Maxes now, so it legit might might replace it.
0: I actually prefer in the Liller two at least the bounce to the Boost feel softer to me yeah yeah i like i like the bounce it's cool and it keeps the cost down i know they uh raised the price up to 115 for the three so the the boost is
1: i i wore some of those boost runners for a long time from adidas they're kind of wobbly to be perfectly honest like it's almost too cushion and i've i've heard that some people don't like it because it's it almost puts more stress on their knees because it's it's too unstable but so I, i like the bounce
2: you guys talking about beer again Sorry. <laughs> <I think laughs> they can't all be winners, damn it.
0: <laughs> I think that's a great time to take our first commercial break.
2: For you, the listeners of the Holy Backboard podcast, Bombas is offering an opportunity to save 20% off your first order at getbombas.com/holybackboard. Bombas is an online retailer of premium high-performance athletic leisure socks for the whole family bomba socks have been engineered and designed to look better feel better and most importantly perform better simply put they are the most comfortable socks you'll ever put on your feet and you'll feel good about the purchase for every pair you buy bombas donates a special pair to those in need and they've been engineered for their specific needs and they've donated over a million pairs thank you bombas for your sponsorship and now back to the show
0: All right, welcome back to the Holy Backboard Podcast. We are recording Monday night with Dane Carbaugh. Dane, we are going to look ahead at the Blazers' schedule this week. Uh, Pretty daunting again. They finish up the 8 of 9 on the road tomorrow night in Sacramento. Another back-to-back at home against the lowly Mavericks. But then they get Christmas Eve and Christmas Day off. But sandwiched, or excuse me, surrounding those days are home games against LaMarcus Aldridge in the San Antonio Spurs and DeMar DeRozan in the Toronto Raptors. A very tough week for Portland, especially considering this was already the toughest stretch of the season. The eight of nine on the road, and then you've got the two really powers of the conference. Outside of, I think, Cleveland and Golden State, Toronto and San Antonio would probably maybe be the second choice for those teams to to represent their respective conferences. But let's start with Sacramento, where Portland has had some success so far this year. They did play them back in uh, November 11th in Portland. They won in overtime, 122 to 120. Uh, That was the game, if you remember, it was DeMarcus and Dame just going at it back and forth. What do the Trailblazers have to do? Because this is a team that has laid the wood to Portland before. We've seen Rudy Gay go off for 40, um... DeMarcus has been tough even even Myers hasn't been able to solve DeMarcus this year like he did that that one time last year if if you're Terry Stotts are you going to sell out on trying to stop DeMarcus or are you going to try and let him get his and then just hope the role players don't beat you similar to Oklahoma City
1: I think it's a smarter idea to try to let uh, DeMarcus get his especially if it's down low Portland has a has done a better job over the course of this sort of this two-week stretch where we see some flickers of hope a little bit. In terms of their rebounding, they won the rebounding battle against, uh, I want to say it was Denver? I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but they won the rebounding battle. They they won points at the paint a couple times, which is great for them. I think they they need to sort of start from the basics, and I think it's going to be a game-on-game a game scenario where they try to put pieces back together. And so the number one thing they need to do is stop that three point line, and um, you know if, if they can do that against uh, a team in Sacramento that um, is struggling themselves, I think it's a good good way to go into that back to back against Dallas. Uh, either what they have the worst record in the NBA, or I, I don't know where they're at right now, but uh, they uh, they certainly have uh, they have they have uh, they're, see, they're seven of twenty one. They have the they worst record the worst. in the
0: NBA. They do have the worst record. Oh, they yeah, lost tonight to Denver.
1: Yeah, so. Um, you know, that's a great way to go into that game. But start with the three-point line, really attack that, let DeMarcus have his, um, that's a good place to start defensively, even if, and I think like you said, a lot of these games coming up are going to be about seeing what the Blazers are about, right? Seeing if they can just stay in it, because we've seen we've seen some of these leads of you know five, six points going into halftime quickly become eight, 10, 11, 14, you know, th- with four minutes left in the third. So, um, and certainly team, you know, or some, sometimes like when they're against Indy, when they're up, they blow these huge leads. So, um, I think if, if they want to feel like they can reset before, before Christmas or sorry, or before, before the first of the year, then I think these couple games, they can really just show them that they can hang with these guys and, uh, you know, give, give, give the fans some hope about, uh, like Damien said about their heart a little bit.
0: And even though it feels inevitable to me that Blazers will end up in the eighth seed right now, they are only a half game above the Nuggets. They are tied in the loss column with Denver after Denver's win uh, tonight against um, Dallas and the Kings are only one game back in the loss column. So if Portland is serious about making the playoffs, they can't take games like this for granted, because to be honest, it's one of the easier games they're going to have all season long. And the Kings, they're about a 500 team at home. They're 5-6 and six this year. They can beat the best on their home court, but they can also lose to the best. Uh, Sage, or lose to the worst of the teams, excuse me. Sage, what are you going to look for in, in that game tomorrow night?
2: I think that we got to uh, make sure those role players don't go off on us. So I, I would let DeMarcus get his, just like Dane said. I think Rudy Gay going off is scary, but other than that, none of those other players scare me.
0: Yeah, you mentioned role players in the game in Portland. It was Darren Collison who played about 40 minutes, um, really replaced Ty Lawson and he had 20 points, five rebounds and four assists. And he was a big catalyst in getting them back in that game. Uh, that was during the stretch of the season where it was if Damon CJ put up gaudy numbers, we won. They had 67 points between them. With the way this defense is rolling, it's the tail end of a long road trip. Those two are going to have to go off, in my opinion. I don't think we're going to get anything settled defensively uh, tomorrow night in Sacramento, I do think Portland finds a way to win. They're pretty embarrassed right now. I think after losing by 45 to the Warriors and just getting run out of the gym against the Nuggets, so I look for them to respond to show that heart that Dame's looking for. Um, but again, they could lose. This is probably the most Jekyll and Hyde Blazer team that I can remember in, in recent history. Uh, Sage, you got a win or a loss?
2: I think we win. I think I think we get the Dubskis. What about you, Dan? What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think I think it's a win,
1: just because I I don't believe that the team will come out flat. If uh, Damian Lillard's saying that they need to come out with some heart, that's not something that you know, he's such a good leader. They can push him in that direction. This team listens to him. It's, they have, everybody knows it's his team. So I think I think it's a W.
0: And if they do get a win, the team you want to see probably in your home gym more than anybody right now is the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, they are seven and twenty-one, as you mentioned, Dame, the worst team in the NBA. Portland has already had some success earlier this year, winning one Oh five 95 in Dallas. Dame put up 42 in that game. Uh, they don't really have any guards that can stick with Lillard. Uh, it will be Wesley Matthews return uh, to Portland for the first time this year. Although if you've read anything leading up to that first game, not really a big deal to him, not really a big deal to the current Trailblazers. It's just a big deal to the fans who still really have a lot of love and appreciation for uh, number two,
2: he was the apple if of my eye for a few
0: years. He even, was your boo.
2: Even when I wasn't a fan of the Blazers, that he was the apple of my eye.
0: And to be honest, Portland needs a guy like Leslie Matthews right now. We need that dog, that guy that is just hurt that 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 the loss has come by. Like Losing actually gives him physical pain. I don't know if we have that on this roster yet. I know the guys care, but Wes was the heart and soul of those really good Blazer teams. And for whatever reason... We don't have that same chip on our shoulder. We don't have that same, I don't know. its I guess the easiest way to sum it up is it's an it factor. And that's what Wes had. And he's gone, but he is with the Mavs. Probably no Dirk, I would assume. He's God, still, I
2: would assume no.
0: He's still shelved.
2: I think Bogut's hurt too, because measure he has been playing.
0: Bogut is hurt. Uh, he was rumored as a, a Blazers trade target a little while back, and I was like, "Nah, that guy's hurt too much. But for Portland, I, I think this is a must win. Uh, obviously, you're not going to either make or miss the playoffs based upon a game against the Mavericks in late December, but if you are serious about even having a successful plus sub or plus 500 season, you have to handle the Mavericks. Um, my biggest key is to not let Darren Williams go off got it from you he scored 30 points twice last year both against the Trail Blazers, both in dallas victories he was really neutralized um in that november uh contest i think the blazers actually kicked dallas's ass it's going to be i think a carbon copy of the okc game i think the team really just needs some home cooking right now does it almost just come down to that dane when you're on the road that long you're not a very good team you just want to see some familiar faces
1: yeah you want to see some familiar faces you want to see your Your wives, your girlfriends, your moms, your little cousins who are around with you. You want to be able to, you know, play in front of a crowd that, you know, no matter what. I was just having my friend uh, Ben Swanson, who now works for Denver Broncos, was texting me the other day about what should, what should, what uh, tickets should I get for, um, for a Blazers game, for a friend, the the Cavs game, or the Magic game. Obviously, the Cavs game is gonna be higher up. The Magic game, uh, I can seat them lower down. And I was giving him, I was like, look, it's gonna be the same no matter what. Orlando Magic are in town. 18,500 people are going to show up to the Moda Center. They're going to scream their heads off. They'll probably be happier because they're probably going to win against the Magic. So again, they're supposed to be getting blown out against the Cavaliers, so it's going to be louder. Um, so I think, yeah, a team needs that, especially especially a team that feels like they're, they're not playing with something intangible. And that fan support is that something intangible. It can be that feeling, that emotional swell that really pushes you forward. And, of course, the Blazers are a better team at home by far. So it feels like a win for me, obviously. Yeah, they don't have Bogut. They don't have Dirk. Wesley Matthews is not playing at the same level he was this year. Um, uh, the Mavericks are a very, uh, we've seen them be sort of bad before on one side of the ball. They're bad on both sides of the ball this year. They're bottom 10 in both defensive efficiency and uh, offensive efficiency. It's um—it's not looking good uh, in Big D. And so hopefully the Blazers can come out with a win. I think I think that's kind of an easy one, no brainer.
2: I think, the uh, you random, yeah, I think the random guard that does well is Seth Curry. I, I think that it's going to be a Blazers win, though.
0: Yep, I think Seth is going to get his, but too much Blazers. I think they're just the more talented team, and sometimes that's all it takes.
2: And do you think Dallas really wants to win right now?
0: No, they really know. don't. If, if, if they were smart, they would continue to uh, fall down that, that ladder because the 2017 draft is looking uh, pretty stacked right now. Uh, two more games on the docket for the Blazers as they go into the holiday November 20 or December 23rd. They get the second best team in the entire NBA record wise, the San Antonio Spurs coming into Portland. Uh, the Spurs are almost an unthinkable 14 and one on the road. Correct me if I'm wrong. They started 11 or 12 and zero on the road, which was almost close to an NBA record. Uh, so this team, it doesn't matter where they play. They bring their a game and it feels like a terrible matchup. Dane, am I wrong?
1: Uh, with the Spurs. Yeah. It's it's hard because I think the Spurs do so much right. And if we are talking about a team on defense. It doesn't seem to have either discipline or an IQ. Sometimes it's one or the other. And it just kind of sort of combines as a team. But a team that executes so well um and a team that you know shouldn't be as as especially good to, as defensively as they are given we've seen some great writing from Matt Moore about how teams have been able to neutralize Kawhi Leonard but you know the running out Aldridge and Pau Gasol is not necessarily a good uh, defensive front line you have Tony Parker who's aging but the Spurs are still a, a, an incredibly good team and so for the Blazers I think they can they can capitalize on teams that are mediocre because of um, sort of their execution and and their um their glue, you know, like a game against Denver. Even though that spe- you know, specific game on that night going away is really tough thing, you can see the Blazes getting a win in Denver at some point in time if the the schedule and the timing worked out a little bit better. If they had a menu because that team has some talent, but they haven't gelled together yet. The Spurs, there's no question, they're they're rock solid, they're they're concrete. They've been they've been dried out for ages. Um, so I think it's it's going to be hard even at home for the Blazers to like that that's a big game for me. That'll be the first game for me, I think, over this four game stretch we're talking about, where I really want to see the Blazers as almost I guess you call it maybe defeatus if you were a member of the Blazers organization. But I want to see them not lose by ten. The Spurs that's a good start for how bad they've been lately. Not lose by ten, which is realistic considering how bad they got blown up by the Warriors and how how bad they got blown out by the Nuggets.
0: They've been playing so bad that leading up to that game, I told Bassey, if the Blazers just lose by single digits, you'll get fancy fees. You don't even have to win. They let him down. Hopefully they won't do the same on Friday, but the Spurs are a team that I think does things so so well that the one aspect where Portland could get them is we have more youth. I think we have a lot of long athletic players. The Spurs aren't likely going to make any mistakes, but if there's a game to try something a little bit different. Do it against the Spurs because they already know your move before you're going to do it. So maybe try, this is the game where Terry's like, okay, we're going to trap at half court or we're going to double down on LaMarcus. Um, Just do a couple things different here and there because if we can get on the break, that's the only way I see Portland uh, defeating the Spurs is by taking some chances on defense, forcing a lot of turnovers, uh, getting dunks on the break, getting the crowd involved because we do have the athleticism advantage there. Everywhere else, it's Spurs across the board. So if Portland does want to uh, make it three in a row, that's what they would have to do. What do you think, Sage?
2: I'm going to say we take this out uh, tonight. Or against the Spurs, excuse me. It, it's a cool goal to be lose uh, by less than 10, but I, I think we will lose by more than 10.
0: See, I think we keep it close, um, especially with LaMarcus. For those games... When he returns back to Portland, we only got one of those last year. Uh, So I think fans will bring it even louder, especially if we're coming off back-to-back wins. Um, The Spurs are just too talented. I don't think we win the game, but I think this is going to be the game where we finally say, okay, we're competitive and we can build off of that. Yes, there's no moral victories in the NBA, but for the Trailblazers right now, you kind of have to take them where you can get them.
2: It might be just recency bias where I watched the Spurs play against the Pelicans uh, Sunday, and the Pelicans played okay, and they still lost by 30, so, uh, so that might be very clear in my mind, but it's really clear in my mind, and I'm going recency bias, and that's fine.
0: I think the one opportunity Portland does have to get their marquee win of the season is the day after Christmas, the last game we're going to preview on this podcast, and it's against the 19-8 Toronto Raptors, currently sitting second out east. Uh, they have a very nice 9-3 and record on the road. But they are going to be traveling over the holidays. Portland is going to have their home. They've they've paid their dues so far in December. You've got a team who, in the Raptors, they're traveling. They're probably going to spend Christmas in Portland in a hotel. Um, That could go one or two ways. Portland could come out um, lackadaisical and kind of resting on, not really their laurels, but feeling too comfortable. Where the Raptors teams have said, good teams, they come together on the road. But I think... The day after Christmas, this is the chance for Portland to get their signature win of the year. And it starts with DeMar DeRozan. I know last year he had 40-plus up in Toronto. It felt like he was shooting a free throw every other time I turned and looked at the television. If Portland can win the battle at the free throw line, I think they have a great chance at this. Because DeRozan is an amazing scorer right now. But he does a lot of his damage, at least last year when he played Portland at the line. So whoever Portland puts on him... I don't think it can be cj i think mo's gonna have to do as much as he can and you're gonna have to hide cj elsewhere
2: so you're gonna put him on
0: damari Carroll. i think i would take my chances with cj and damari Carroll than cj and demar Derozan.
1: yeah the uh the tough thing with the toronto raptors there's twofold one they're the best offensive in the, the best offensive team in the nba right now which is tough they are uh, a top three team in terms of three-point shooting percentage the good thing for the blazers is that they are bottom half of the league in terms of three-point attempts. So they don't shoot as many as you would think for a top team. They're not the Rockets or anything, but they make them count. And so, again, that'll be a, a point of contention for the Trailblazers this time out. DeMar DeRozan is shooting, uh, I think I recall, historic from one of the uh, the five-foot ranges uh, in mid-range. Kind of, kind of hilariously good, above 50%. Um, that Lamarcus Aldridge style. Uh, oh, he's actually good at this one section as long as it's a good shot kind of guy. Um, and they have to find a way to, way to shut them down. I think it'll still be tough, even though it's at home. The Raptors are, uh, an incredibly good team that are, uh, sort of the, the opposite of the Blazers right now uh, every other Snapchat you see posted to Twitter or, or, uh, or Reddit or something is just, you know, them singing on a team plane or hanging out or goofing behind each other. Um, they've really gelled and they've come together. So I think it'll be hard, uh, kind of a, a difference in attitude or at least, um, difference in attitude as we look at it right now uh, for those two teams
0: yeah probably gets my better judgment but i think portland pulls out a victory i do worry most about Jonas balanchunas because he has the ability to beat us up down low like a lot of good bigs do like we saw marcus Gasol do we just do not have any post defenders so if i'm toronto i'm going my i'm i'm utilizing my offense through through jv because if he can get it down low, you're forcing Terry to either double-team, which is not in his, uh, really in his skill set as a coach. So the team doesn't practice it a lot, so we're probably not very good at it. And then you have guys like Damari Carroll, Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan open, who any NBA player can hit open three even if they don't shoot a whole lot. Or for DeMar DeRozan's case, he can probably take a pump fake, one dribble up into that sweet spot of his. Um, but like I said, just kind of a gut feeling. I think this is going to be a big Dame night. He always plays well against the Raptors and I, a 3-1 week would make a lot of people in Portland feel better about the direction of this team. However, I could easily see us being 0-4, maybe 1-3. I think Dallas probably has to be a given. So 1-3 I think is probably worst case. I've got 3-1. Um, Sage, any final thoughts on the podcast?
2: I hate that you stole my talking points both times. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of scared about how we defend Jonas and... I think we'd lose. What about you,
1: Dave? Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's a win. I think the, uh, I don't think they'll go worst case scenario. I think they'll come together just given after. I don't think the team is one to have, uh, inactivity after Damon coming out publicly, which almost never happens for him. Uh, not a lot of reason for him to come out publicly like that or have a, a public outburst like he did. So, um, I think that it's probably a two and two. Uh, I think the Raptors are the Raptors and the Spurs are a loss. I think Sacramento and uh, just because of the proximity to those comments and uh, Dallas, just because they're a terrible basketball team are the two wins.
0: Dane, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. One more time, let our listeners know where they can find your content.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on you guys. I hope you guys have a a good little holiday break here as we get back into it and then get really into the, the thick of the NBA season uh, you guys can find me, your listeners can find me at uh, at Dane Carbaugh, D-A-N-E-C-A-R-B-A-U-G-H on Twitter, of course. Uh, find me over there. It should be easy to get to me. I am on NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk. That's NBCSports.com slash NBA. Uh, my YouTube channel, which is my my big thing this year, so I I'd love it if you guys subscribed, commented, liked my videos, you know, send it to your mom, maybe Sage's mom. Uh, it is uh, YouTube.com slash Dane, not Dan, D-A-N-E, not Dan. Uh, and uh, over at Blazers Edge and the co-host of Locked on Trailblazers. Find that on iTunes, Stitcher, Boom, everywhere you find podcasts.
0: All right. You can find the Holy Backboard podcast on iTunes. Subscribe. Give us that five-star review. If you're not on iTunes, we're also on Stitcher and SoundCloud at Holy Backboard PDX. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Holy Backboard. And if you feel like it, hit us up on email, uh, holybackboardpdx at gmail.com. Dane, thank you again for joining the the podcast. Sage, stay warm out there in, in Southern Oregon, and let's just get some victories heading into the holiday season, Blazers. Let's go.